Welcome to the Wake Before the Day podcast with my parents, Clark and Bobby. We'll talk about the Bible and the Holy Spirit adventures. Thanks for listening. So today we're um, going to be diving into Matthew chapter 26, and we've got a lot to talk about, so let's just jump in. Let's dive. Let's dive, dive deep. Let's dive deep. <laughs> just a quick overview, you guys. Like Clark said, this is a huge chapter. Um, so I'm just going to kind of walk through what's going on is Jesus is really close now to the cross. Um, so close that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so the plot against Jesus is kind of where it starts and you hear about Passover happening soon and that the son of man is going to be handed over. Then you read about the perfume and Jesus being anointed at Bethany. Um, we'll touch on that a little bit and then enter Judas and his betrayal, uh, the Lord's Supper happens, which is just another, like, how do you not talk about that? So we'll touch about on that a little bit. Then Jesus predict, predicts Peter's denial. Uh, they go to the garden. Um, so that's around verse 36. Wow. There really is a lot. I know. Um, and then things, you know, then it gets real. Verse 47, Jesus is arrested. Um, that's when the disciples flee. Then Jesus kind of goes um, into the court. He goes before the Sanhedrin. And then finally, the end of the chapter is, um, when Peter disowns Jesus and that's right around verse 69. So, wow. well, right away, if you look at like the first subtitle, it's entitled the plot against Jesus. I was doing some kind of historical mm-hmm. research on Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest right now. And he was the high priest for an uncommonly long time from mm. the year 18 AD to 36 AD. So just to give you some perspective, what happens the next 30 years from Mm -hmm. 37 to 67, there are 28 different high priests. So when Caiaphas is high priest for that long, it was important because he was a schmoozer and worked really well with Rome. Mm -hmm. And so when you read about plots and meeting in the dark of night and these kind of things, Mm -hmm. how Jesus was arrested and given an unfair trial, this is the work of Caiaphas, the high priest. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this is what we're dealing with here. Um, but kind of looking at the next pericope, it's that verses 6 through 13 is when Jesus is anointed at, at Bethany. And one of the biggest takeaways for me, and you can add to this, Bobby, is yeah. the remark to them, to, to, to Mary, is like, why are you doing this? That, that perfume could have been sold and that money could have been given to the poor. Mm-hmm. When you read closely into the text, you know, the motivations of the disciples, especially Judas, was not godly. It was not helpful. Right. But one of the things that Jesus teaches us here is that anything done unto Jesus mm-hmm. and anything done for the glory of God is not a waste. It's not a waste. So any dollar amount given to like the Lord's church and missionaries and what what the Christian movement and the body of Christ is doing, that's not a waste. Mm -hmm. Inconveniencing yourself to get here to church on Sunday, like that's not a waste. Mm -hmm. That's worth it. Coming to group in the midweek, that's worth it. Taking Sabbath and slowing down when the temptations are... Mm-hmm. rising up to go buy something or, or go do something or, or to not rest and maybe work harder. Mm-hmm. Like, it's worth it. It's worth any time we say, God, I want to give this unto you. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, two cents for me, just on that pericope, like Clark said, um, cause for, you know, for this woman, that was everything that, you know, so we're talking about giving, you know, mm-hmm. like your time or giving, but literally, um, this perfume would have been like her, is it called a dowry? 
Yeah. No. It's, 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 it was just a ton of money. Like anyway, it, it was her future. Yeah. It was like what, or, you know, she would have given her future husband what, and, and essentially like, that's just like such a sacrifice and offering saying like, it, it's all you, Jesus. And so just curious again that. And it's coming up against people who are jeering at her and right. like, and casting doubt. Like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. would you do that? And I'm not sure about you, but there might be things in your life that you're contemplating and maybe the spirit stirring in your heart saying, I want you to step into this. Mm-hmm. And we're oftentimes preoccupied with what are they going to think about me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes when, when we step into those moments with faith, trusting that God's going to really work and we're being obedient to what the spirit's doing. Mm-hmm. That's when God does his thing. And you see that without church throughout church history too. Yeah. Right. Right. So there's, um, you want to, we have a quote here from George Whitfield who, I mean, like early 1700s when he came from England over to Massachusetts yeah. and it kind of speaks to that idea too, that just like giving things unto the Lord, um, you know, whatever they look like. So I'll read it to you guys. All those who have done wonders for Christ have always been called eccentric and fanatical just like uh, this woman at Bethany. Why, when Whitfield first went on Bennington Common to preach, because he could not find a building large enough, it was quite an unheard thing then to preach in open air. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. How could you expect God to hear prayer if there was not a roof over top of the people's heads? How could souls be blessed if the people had not seats and regular high-backed pews to sit in? Whitfield was thought to be doing something outrageous, but he went and did it. He went and broke the alabaster box on the head of his master, and in the midst of scoffs and jeers, he preached in the open air. And what came of it? A revival of godliness and a mighty spread of religion. I wish we were all of us ready to do some extraordinary things for Christ, willing to be laughed at, to be called fanatics, to be hooted at and scandalized. Mm -hmm. Because we went out of the common way and were not content with doing what everyone else would have done or approved of doing. I love that. I love that. You crazy man, why are you going outside to preach? And then here comes a revival. Mm-hmm. Thousands and thousands of people are, are repentant and turn their life to the Lord. And mm-hmm. I just wonder what God wants to do in our life, in our family, and in yeah. our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools. When we're just simply obedient to God and saying, God, we're here. We're here. Mm. Um, so God bless that woman for doing that. Mm-hmm. As you keep going through chapter 26, the next kind of section is when it says Judas ag- agrees to betray Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we don't know right now, like the motive of Judas heart. We don't know why he did it. You have any, any ideas or thoughts on that, Bobby? Like, why did Judas do this? Uh, what do you mean? I mean, like, do you think he was just doing it for straight money? I think it was political. I oh. Think, I think that he realized, crap, Jesus is not going to overthrow Rome, so I'm going to get some money out of this deal, mm-hmm. turn him in, and I'm going to move on my merry way. Mm-hmm. That's not technically biblical. That's just my thought when I wonder, why would Judas betray Jesus after spending time with him for this long? Mm-hmm. But anyways... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I read the text and it just makes me, I feel like he's just kind of one of those like players in the story and he plays his part and his part is one that's like, oh, devastating. Mm. Um, And so, you know, he's used in the storyline. And so when they say they counted out for him 30 silver coins, um, I I don't know. I just, I just wonder about that, you know, in my own life. And you I, know what's crazy about that too, by the way, is 30 silver coins 
This is just random fact floating mm-hmm. in the back of your pastor's head. Was the price of an common average slave or servant at that time. So it wasn't like he made some ungodly amount of money on Jesus. It well, don't just, you think that in and of itself is kind of interesting? Yeah. Like that it's money for us, like, you know, for someone else to do a job yep. and Judas is kind of doing a job. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It really is. It's sad. But but it kind of gets better here for a moment. It gets a little richer and deeper when it transitions to the Last Supper. And in it, you see Jesus hanging with his friends. Mm-hmm. When the scriptures talk about how he is washing their feet, it's an act of service. But then verses 21 through 25 he begins to predict that right. one of you is going to betray me. Mm-hmm. They're all very sad and begin to say to one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting for me because the disciples don't blame somebody else. I feel like in other parts of the scriptures, they're like, who's the favorite? Right. Who's going to sit at your right and your left? And why do you like him so much? And mm-hmm. here they're realizing this is serious. Mm-hmm. I-, I hope I don't contribute to this problem. God. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not me. And when it's talking about dipping, like it just gives us a picture into like how close Jesus was with all of them, but even Judas. Mm-hmm. That Jesus was betrayed by by his friend. And, oh, it's just so sad. I mean that Jesus was just, just betrayed by his friend. Yeah, sorry, what did I say? Yeah, you said Judas. Yeah, but no, Jesus. Yep, yeah, because yep. verse 23 says that. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. So just like the intimacy in the picture of that, that's like, this isn't, Uh, you know, yeah. Somebody from left field. This is somebody who shares your cup. You listening have been hurt by somebody close to you, but just know that Jesus knows that pain. Right. Like full well, you know, but he continues to talk about Passover and Passover Mm -hmm. is this beautiful connection to what old Testament story. Yeah. The the Israel or sorry, Exodus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just looking again. I'm looking ahead, you guys, but I'm I'm just deep in this, and I'm so grateful for how the Bible's written. That's what you're going to get to, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm just amazed again sitting here reading this with you. But sorry, you kind of caught me off guard there. Oh, you're good. Just the Old Testament, New Testament connection, and how yeah. like Passover was given in the Book of Exodus when mm-hmm. all of God's people were becoming free from slavery in Egypt, and how Passover created a new nation of those who are free. And then now when you look at what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 26, he's saying, now there's this new covenant. There's this new way of doing things. And at Passover, I'm going to create a new people group. Right. They're going to be called the church, the body of Christ, Christians. And anytime you do what Jesus does here, breaking of the bread, Mm -hmm. which was his body, and the the drinking of the cup, which was his blood, Mm -hmm. you are joining yourselves in unity with past, present, and future Christians who all believe Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension is promised to come again. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the words, when you and I were talking a second ago, the words new covenant kind of stood out to us. And that's one of the ways that, again, this passage points back to a really rich Old Testament connection that God's been doing something for a long time and preparing us for his plan. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to new covenant, like what's he getting at? Yeah, this is just from a commentary. I'll read it to you guys and kind of put paint a picture around that word. The new, t- the new covenant concerns an inner transformation that cleanses us from all sin. And it cites Jeremiah 31 verse 34, for I will give, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. It also, um, this transformation puts God's word and will in us. And that's echoing Jeremiah 31, 33. 
I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. Mm. This covenant is all about a new and close relationship with God. I will be their God and they will be my people. And that's from Jeremiah 31, 33. And so really this, this picture of Passover, what's up? No, You're doing going. a hand signal. You can't see this, but Clark's doing a hand signal. throwing up signs over here i was trying to grab my phone but you're good we can say that the blood of jesus made the new covenant possible and it also made it sure and reliable it was confirmed with the life of god himself Mm. do you want me to keep reading it no no that's good that's good i I think the the questions that you kind of brought up with the new covenant like inner transformation cleansing from sin god's will and god's word those are questions that we can all ask ourselves when it comes to our spiritual maturity and growth especially when it comes time to take communion um, for us at Emmanuel and wherever church you worship at. Mm. It's like, is there inner transformation in my life? Um, Is there a real cleansing of sin? Like, am I growing? Is God's word in my heart and is his will being lived out in my life? Mm -hmm. You know, as it says in God's word. And am I growing closer to God? I think these are the things that are brought up when you look at the new covenant which is alluded to going all the way back to Passover and all the way back to Jeremiah that we have to continue to wrestle with and ask ourselves. And it's a really rich part of the Bible. And it's something that we get to do as a church often where we step in and partake in communion. Yeah. Well, I think the the gift of communion for me too is, is that it's like an action. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of what we do is sometimes it's hard to see in the life of a Christian, like your transformed heart and the will of God, like Clark's talking about, but this is an action we can actually see right in front of us. So we can taste. Yeah. Um, and so while it's a symbol, it's also like we're, so we're touching on, you know, the last supper, but we're also like, that's going all the way back, like Clark said to the Israelites in Exodus and how this is like one beautiful woven together picture where Yahweh, the living God has been at work. And now we in 2022 at Emmanuel profess the same thing and we step in and I just like that picture. Yeah. Yeah. One other part of this chapter as we kind of wrap up that points back to the old Testament is uh, a really small verse that you might just read right past in this verse 30 after the Lord's supper is done. It says when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and when the, these people got mm-hmm. together for Passover meal, they always sang hymns and the hymns were from the Psalms. It was Psalm 116, 117, and 118. And if you ever have time, go read these Psalms. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating that these Psalms are all about death and life mm-hmm. and life eternal. And so Jesus, knowing that he's about to die, is spending his last moments being betrayed by one of his friends, teaching the rest of his friends what it means to be a servant-hearted disciple of Jesus. And then they sing something like this. Here's Psalm 116. The pains of death surrounded me. The pangs of Mm. Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. And then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. A few verses later, verses 8 and 9, it says, You have delivered my soul from death, God, my eyes from tears, Mm -hmm. and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Jesus is reciting these psalms fully aware that he is about to be killed. But he's trust and forsaken. God's going to turn his face from him. But that he will resurrect and know the land of the living. And he'll be reinstated to the right hand of God the Father. It's like, man, that just makes me love Jesus even more. Knowing that he's standing there distressed and sorrowful. You read that in the rest of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Then he goes before the Sanhedrin. He's accused. 
Then Peter disowns him. Mm-hmm. It's so painful. But just to know the love and the magnitude of God's love right here is just huge. He really loves you. And um, I celebrate that today, kind of looking at this chapter. God bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Don't make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give him his peace. Have a great day.